Um, we're reading Matthew 9, chapter 9, verses 9 through 17. It's up on the board if you can read it with the wind. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. As Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. And then he quoted Hosea 6.6. 6. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skin bursts, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. Not to mention you waste wine, okay? Just saying that. <laughs> but, I'm sorry, I had to add that, but... New wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. You can have a seat. Ah, <laughs> uh, thanks, Mama Carmen. It is Mother's Day, um, and I do not have a Mother's Day sermon for you today. And I don't feel bad for that because we're preaching through the gospel of Matthew and everyone needs the gospel, including you moms. So Jesus, uh, if you've not been with us, we've been, we've been going th from the beginning of the gospel of Matthew and we are now in uh, this section. Jesus has begun to preach and to show what the kingdom of God is and looks like, how it moves and breathes. And so he's doing that through teaching kingdom values. He's also doing that by healing the sick and casting out demons. And Jesus will continue to do this all the way through the gospel, this kind of pattern of teaching and showing, teaching and showing, teaching and showing. And that's because no one really gets it. Everyone's kind of just making it up, has a lot of questions and is generally confused and that's because I think we're all generally confused and have lots of questions about who God is. And so Jesus comes to help us see and know and trust who God is. He comes to display who he is. All of our father facts are just all over the place. And so Jesus shows up to help set those straight for us. And today he is in very pristine Jesus fashion giving us analogies to help know who he is, what his heart is like. He gives us two word pictures to kind of help show who he is. And then he gives us one to help us show who he is not. It's helpful to know who you are and who you are not. And he's saying it would be really helpful for you to know me and my heart if you think of me like a doctor and if you think of me like a groom. 
and it would be really helpful for you if you don't think of me like a patch that you put on your life. So he's doing this teaching at a party. He's not on like a hillside proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's not like in the sick ward demonstrating the kingdom of God. Jesus is doing some of his finest teaching at a party. And I like this about Jesus. I also like that he's partying with a group that no one really expected him to be partying with, including the co-author of this gospel, Matthew. Matthew is a tax collector, and so to his Jewish brothers and sister, he, he, sisters, he's the scum of the earth. This is who Matthew is. He's lower than scum, actually. And so the question comes to Jesus, actually around Jesus. He just has great ears to hear. And they say, why, do you, why does he eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And I think it's amazing that tax collectors are so bad, they don't fall in the general category of sinners. Like, you know, because you do this, there's sinners, and then there's like sinners. Like, there's a whole other ball game of people who do bad. Tax collectors don't even fit underneath just like, okay, you're, you're just bad. R- Romans love taxes. And so what they would do in an occupied area, they would show up and they'd start to take bids of who here could it, who, who here could squeeze the most money out of your neighbors and family and friends? Who here can do that? Who knows where all the money is, where it's hidden, how much people make on their side hustles, and who can extort that from your friends? And Matthew wins the bid. Oh, I know all of this. I know all of the secrets. I know all of the secret hiding places and what people do with their money. He sold his soul for money. He knows exactly what he's done and exactly who he's done it to. And Jesus marches up to him and says, follow me. I want you on my team. Matthew follows him. I love that he's so brief about it. He asked. I said yes. He follows him. And he leaves everything behind. And I mean everything. Comfort, security, his lifestyle that he had grown accustomed to. Matthew is by far the wealthiest disciple, and he's left a lot. Lots of Jesus' disciples, they've left boats and fishing careers and nets. And they can go back to those and will eventually when things go south with Jesus. This is not so with Matthew. Matthew has turned his back on his family. He's shunned from his people. But at least he has Rome. And now he's turned his back on Rome. And no one does that and lives to tell about it. He has no place to go but wherever Jesus is going to take him. This is a note for us this morning that I want us to grasp onto. You cannot be a follower of Christ without leaving behind some things. Discipleship, it requires us to grow. It requires us to to live towards things, to love, to embrace. But it also calls us to leave 
and let go and move on from certain things as well. My guess is this morning there's lots of you that have left things behind. Some of you have left family behind. And some of you have left friendships behind. Some of you have left old ways of thinking or talking. You don't sound the same these days as you once did. Some of you have left behind the way that you used to treat your friends or your spouse. Some of you have left behind the old business practices that worked so dang good but just weren't right. We know that we have to leave the old behind because the old can't be mixed with the new, which is exactly where this story is taking us this morning. So the the chances that Matthew um, was the tax man for Peter and James and John and these disciples is really high. And now he's one of them. Could you imagine what that dinner party was like? How awkward it is. You ever been to an awkward dinner party? Yeah, chances are there's some awkward Christians there, and it's just it just gets even more awkward. It's just, man, what do we do here? What do we talk about? Like, what do you say? You're staring at this person that just, like, screwed you out of so much money. It's like, well, I'm on Team Jesus now, sorry. Can't touch me. So at this point, people are super into Jesus and also super bothered by what he's doing and who he's doing it with. And so, in his kindness... He starts to teach. He starts to draw pictures for us so we can understand who he is and why he does what he does. It'll help you if you think of me as a doctor, as a groom, and not as a patch. So Jesus gets flagged by some of the religious people who are present here at this party. They're the the party killers. And he... (laughs) They say, they're saying, hey, why, why, why are you doing this? Like, wh- what is going on? This is nothing. This is kind of no behavior for a holy man here. And so Jesus answers the Pharisees, and he says, I've come as a physician to heal the sick. This is why I'm hanging out in this place with these people. He makes it really clear that he's at the party with sinners because these people have sold their souls, and they wish so badly that they could get it back. Jesus doesn't like to party with the party crowd because they're just more fun to be around. He likes being with them because they're sick and they know it. He is repulsed and has strong words for the religious crowd because they know they're sick and they won't admit it. Jesus is drawn to humility, and he's repulsed by pride. And he's a good doctor, and good doctors know how to diagnose each individual case and know how to treat each individual case. And Jesus is a good doctor doctor. He knows what the issue really is, and he knows what to do to fix it. And sometimes we don't like Jesus's diagnosis of our life, because sometimes we fall in the sinner category, and sometimes we fall into the Pharisee category. And we just want so badly for Jesus to affirm us, 
We just want so badly for him to use certain phrases and words. We like certain things that he says, like, we love that he comes to the aid of sinners. But what about the religious jerks? I mean, he, we don't want those words to fall in our direction. But we're not really good doctors. We actually don't know what we need. But he does, and he is. Jesus isn't really interested in being our homeboy. He isn't interested in us just liking him. He's interested in being a doctor and bringing true healing to our life, to our body and our minds and our souls. And so Jesus says, think of me like that, like a good doctor. This is my intention towards you, even this morning, to diagnose what's really going on underneath that happy smile. Jesus gets another Religious flag thrown at him. Party's going well. And they come and ask him, hey, John's disciples fast. We fast. How come you guys don't fast? What's up with this? How come you're not doing all of the, like, proper religious things here? You sure don't look like what we thought you would. And Jesus gives us another picture of how we should relate to him. He says, you should think of me as a groom. This will help. Because... Fasting during a wedding was unthinkable. In Jesus' days, the wedding, like today, if you have a wedding, it's like a, it's a full-on day. Like your ceremony's 20 minutes, I know, because I've performed it. But you're, you're spending 24 hours for this day. I mean, you guys get up at 4 a.m. and start doing Botox treatments or something. I don't know, but... And it's a long day. It's a long day. In Jesus' day, it was seven days. And during those seven days of party, you were exempt from all religious duties. You didn't have to do anything. You're free from that. And so Jesus is saying, hey, would people be fasting during a wedding? No. No, they would not. They wouldn't be doing that. And that's why we're celebrating. Because I'm a groom. And these are my groomsmen. And as long as I'm here, we will party. When I leave, they will fast. But I'm not gone yet. And so today, we party. I love that the disciples and Jesus, one of the marks, one of the things that, that is said about them is that they are, they like party too much. And that they're too happy. I love that this is a mark of being a true Christian. I know that you probably have like, a, like what the super Christian looks like in your mind, and partying is probably not on that list, but it totally is on Jesus' list. A mark of Jesus' disciple is knowing how to party and belly laugh with everyone, not just the people that are like you. And this isn't, this isn't something that we do as Christians because we're, like, out of touch. We just want to, like, bury our head in the sand. Like, oh, we don't know any of the tragedies that are going on. We're just happy. You know, we're too blessed to be stressed. Hey, this is who we are, you know. We don't do that because we're just out of touch. We choose to celebrate with joy as a prophetic declaration that this world is not all there is. And these troubles are momentary. And, and what's coming for us is a groom. 
and we are the bride. Jesus is so kind, and Jesus wants us to know who he is. And so he's doing this this morning for us. I don't know what you thought, what like Jesus, you thought you were going to get this morning. But you are getting a doctor who knows the sickness that's driving you crazy inside. And you are getting a groom who stares at you with a fiery love in his eyes, committed to make sure you are ready for the big day. This is the Jesus that stands in front of us and says, come follow me this morning. He's also kind to just let us in on who he's not. He's kind to make some adjustments for us because I think maybe we've, we've got a, a wrong picture of him. And Jesus tells us in this scripture that he's not a patch. He's not an enhancement or an accessory to our life. Jesus is not here to fix up the old and make it better. I'm here to bring something new, Jesus says to you this morning. So you can't use me as a patch. Revelation 2.15, behold, I'm making all things new, not better. I'm not making all things better. I'm making them brand new. This is what I'm up to. And if we try to just put a Jesus patch on who we are and what we do, it's going to be super awkward and super uncomfortable for us and for everyone around us. That's because we often think that Jesus is just a way for us to be a better version of ourselves. You know, like he's coming to make introverts more extrovert. And he's coming to make extroverts less annoying. And he's coming to make spenders like savers. And he's coming to make savers less fearful. He's just coming to smooth out all of our rough edges a bit. Because he's, you know, an enhancement, a supplement for the things that we just don't have on our own. But he's actually not making you better. He's making you new. Behold, is what he says, the old has gone and the new has come. I know that you're a good businessman. I know that you're a good businesswoman. I know this, but Jesus is better than you. He's actually more brilliant than you. He's more savvy than you. I know that you're a good teacher, but I'm telling you, Jesus is a better one. I know that you're a good friend, and you give and give, and it hurts, but Jesus is a better friend. I know you're a good mom, and I know you're trying your hardest, but Jesus is better. He's not asking you to put a verse on your letterhead or a verse on your coffee mug. He's asking you to trust him completely. He's asking you to follow him faithfully in all aspects of your life. Not doing stuff better, but doing stuff brand new. He's not expecting you to know how to do this because it's new. He's expecting you to need him to lead you into the new. You can't just sprinkle a little Jesus juice over your plans and expect it to like work like miracle grow. 
Oh, yeah, I wanted to be a lawyer. Look, now I'm an awesome lawyer because of Jesus' juice. That's not how it works. You take all of him for your life, or you will confuse and stress out everything and everyone in your life. A little bit of Jesus messes things up. You don't put a new patch on an old garment because you'll wreck both garments is what Jesus says. You'll you'll ruin it both. And some of you know this is true. It feels like you're wrecking both right now. You have one foot in the world and you have one foot in with Jesus and it's just really not working at all. There is no joy there is no, like, consistency in your life. And it's because you have too much of God in you to really enjoy the world now. And you have too much of the world in you to really enjoy God now. And so there's this tension that just constantly shows up in your life. Because, you know, you smoke a little weed. And then you show up to church, but you can't really make eye contact with people because you don't want to tell them what you've been up to. But you can't really enjoy smoking the weed because you know you're going to church tomorrow and you have to look at people. And so you just kind of keep your head down and keep moving forward. And you know that when you show up to church and you just kind of sit there and your arms are crossed and you can't really engage, you refuse to worship, you refuse to be a part of what's going on, you refuse to hear things because you've been looking at porn the whole day before. And when you're looking at porn, you can't really even enjoy it because you're knowing now because you've got too much God in you to actually realize this is a good way to live. And it's wrecking the fun in every direction, and it's actually wearing you down, and it's numbing you to a point you don't even know who you are anymore. It was never designed to be a little bit of Jesus or a little Jesus patch on your life. That's why it's wrecking both garments. Jesus is saying we need a new way to hold this new life that he's inviting us into. Jesus says, if you want the wine of the new spirit that I'm pouring out, you need a brand new wineskin. You need a new mindset. You need a new heart posture. You need a new way to move and live and have your being. You can't bring me your old, crusty, stiff, rigid way of doing things. Well, it worked for my grandma. You cannot bring anything like that. I mean, you can if it's true to the Word of God, but if you bring your stiff and rigid ways to God to be filled up, it's going to blow it apart. You need to be able to stretch and be flexible. I want you to ask, Holy Spirit, right now, am I willing to be stretched? Am I really okay with letting things go? Am I okay with being misunderstood by people if I say yes to being obedient to what you're calling me to do? Can I live weak and broken in front of other people? Because when we start to look at what actually kind of what kind of wineskin holds the new wine, <laughs> unfortunately it's not slick. Unfortunately it's it's not awesome looking like we're hoping that it would be? What does the new wineskin look like, this new way of living with Jesus? 2 Corinthians 4, 7. 
We have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You don't, you look like, you look like really poorly made clay. First Peter 5, 6, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. 1 Corinthians 1, 27, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Doggone it, the wineskin isn't impressive. You and I are not impressive and this is what hurts and honestly probably keeps us from stepping fully in with what God's asking us to do because we want to look awesome and do awesome and be awesome. But the truth is that we only house the awesome. The wine is what's impressive, not the wineskin. In fact, the wineskin can be totally misleading. Like, I don't know anything about wine. I have to call Carmen because I think that the bottles that look really sexy are, like, good. And it's like, oh, I think this is, like, vinegar. I don't know what I just bought. I'm not sure. The, 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 the bottle, the container can be totally misleading. It's what's inside that makes the difference. It's what's inside that's worthy. The wine is what brings refreshment, not the wineskin. The wine is what brings the healing, not the wineskin. Jesus' Spirit lives in us, and He desperately, it was His plan from the beginning, wanted to pour out His Spirit into each and every one of you. I know that you've counted yourself out. I don't have the credentials, I don't have the history, I don't have the makeup of whatever super Christian or container for the Holy Spirit would be, but God, from the beginning of your life, before you were formed in your mother's womb, He intended for you to house His Holy Spirit. He called it, and you worthy, to live in communion with Him in that way. The truth and the reality is that we all develop preferences over time. You just get more of them. You just kind of get set into doing things the way that you like to do them. And the truth is that we can become rigid and we can become stiff. And Jesus is saying that you have to keep your heart soft. And your mind has to be set to take God at his word. Not pick it apart, not pick and choose, but you set your mind to believe fully whatever God says. He says it, we believe it. He says it, we do it. We can't show up disengaged any longer. You cannot show up disengaged any longer. The rigid way of your life does not work any longer. You will keep leaking the rest of your days and never fully enjoy the new that God has for you. As a church, we will not remain stiff and rigid. 
We will be flexible, and we will shift wherever the Spirit leads us. Jesus isn't interested in us living our version of the best life. Jesus will see His kingdom come, and His will be done right here in our days, just as it is in heaven. 